Welcome to First Do No Harm with Massachusetts Citizens for Life board member and physician, Dr. Mark Rollo. This broadcast will focus on medical ethics from a Catholic perspective and address abortion, physician-assisted suicide, contraception, natural family planning, IVF, healthcare proxy, and other topics. Please be advised that this show may not be appropriate for children under 13. Hello and welcome back to First Do No Harm, a show about medical ethics from a Catholic perspective. I'm Dr. Mark Rollo. Last time I presented part one of my interview with Dr. Jennifer Roback Morse, an economics professor who became an author and culture warrior. Dr. Morris is the founder of the Ruth Institute, a nonprofit organization founded to expose and address the lies and social destruction created by the sexual revolution over the last 50 years. We have been focusing on her most recent book, The Sexual State, How Elite Ideologies Are Destroying Lives and Why the Church Was Right All Along. The elite ideologies to which Dr. Morse refers are the contraception ideology, the divorce ideology, and the gender ideology. Briefly explained, the contraception ideology attempts to decouple sex from having children. As a result, marriage is weakened because the marital relationship becomes more adult-focused rather than child-focused. As a result, marriage is delayed or does not occur at all. And when marriage does occur, adults need an easy way out if their adult-centered relationship no longer makes them happy. They rationalize. Kids are resilient, so they will get over any breakup. It turns out that is not true. This fact was discovered after a 25-year study conducted by Dr. Judith Wallerstein, Ph.D., who was referenced by Dr. Morse on the last show. But by the end of that study, no-fault divorce had already been enshrined in law by the cultural elites. Sex without babies, made theoretically possible with contraception, evolved into babies without sex by way of artificial reproductive technologies such as IVF, in vitro fertilization. So with this third-party reproductive technology, gender became irrelevant. The cultural elites have declared gender to be fluid, and therefore this modern-day Tower of Babel renders gender to mean anything or nothing. The aforementioned 25-year study by Dr. Wallerstein reveals the devastation wrought by the sexual revolution and no-fault divorce. A summary of this lengthy study was written by Jeffrey Myris, who holds a Ph.D. in intellectual history from Princeton University. A co-founder of Christendom College, he also pioneered Catholic Internet services. He is the founder of Trinity Communications and CatholicCulture.org. Dr. Myris wrote in an article at CatholicCulture.org, that the divorce myth begins with the theory that children are happier if their parents are happier, that they are better off growing up in an environment free from bickering, that they are resilient enough so family upheavals do not negatively affect them over the long term. 
Few would argue with these statements, but there is at least one scenario in which all of them are resoundingly false. That scenario is divorce. It turns out, apart from violence and abuse, children are very much worse off if their parents become happier by divorcing, or if they avoid bickering by divorcing, or if the upheaval in question is the destruction of the family unit itself by divorce. Now, before we continue, let us pray. For as stated by the U.S. Catholic bishops, only with prayer, prayer that storms the heavens for justice and mercy, prayer that cleanses our hearts and souls, will the culture of death that surrounds us today be replaced with a culture of life. O God, the hardness of our hearts has broken the hearts of our children who are torn asunder when parents are no longer one. Help us to always respect and preserve the family for the sake of our civilization and of our souls. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. And now here is part two of my interview with Dr. Jennifer Roback Morse as she delves further into the three destructive ideologies described in her book, The Sexual State. In the title of the book, The Sexual State, how elite ideologies are destroying lives and why the church was right all along, one of the many things that grabbed me is when you said that the sexual revolution is and always has been a creation of the state. And when I read that, I thought, hmm, it's, it's kind of an amazing statement to us baby boomers who believed that the sexual revolution just emerged spontaneously as, and was just part of sex, drugs, and rock and roll of the 60s. So tell us, how did the state create the sexual revolution? Well, let me put it to you this way. There were, there were a certain number of, of elite people who wanted certain things, who, who wanted to have sex without some of the ordinary responsibilities. Mm-hmm. And that's bad enough to want that and to go around encouraging people to do it and so on and so forth. But what they were able to do was to capture the power of the state mm-hmm. in order to implement it. So it's not yes. just you living a bohemian lifestyle on your own. Yeah, You have some kind of legal and social backup for what you're doing. Mm-hmm. So in the book, I go through three, what I call the three interlocking ideologies yes. that make up the sexual revolution the contraceptive ideology, the divorce ideology, and the gender ideology. Mm-hmm. And each one of those things, if you look at it, each one of those things, the state played a key role in implementing them and enforcing them. Okay, so do you want me to go through yes, right go, now? Yeah, yes, go, go through that. First, the, the uh, contraceptive uh, ideology. And again, yeah, this is, yeah, these yeah, are no, things no. that I kind of lived through just like you. Yeah, yes, Mark, you're, you're an MD, right? Yes, yeah, and what kind of what was your specialty when you were a doctor? I was in family medicine, so okay. I I kind of bought into the you know the cultural you know mantra that women needed contraception because they need because their families would be better if they you know if they didn't have the pressure of an unwanted pregnancy and so on and so forth. With me, I I went to 
Catholic grammar school, Catholic high school, Catholic college, Catholic social work school, Catholic medical school. And it wasn't until I joined the Air Force, because I had to pay for medical school, that I met a fellow uh, Air Force physician who practiced natural family planning. And I thought to myself, wow, this is this is a kind of a backwards thing to do. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> and especially for a, a scientist, you know, a physician. But the more the more I talked to him and the more and he actually taught the uh, symptothermal method of natural uh-huh. family planning. And uh, we were converted at the same time we were on an Air Force base and outside of Washington DC, Andrews Air Force Base. Uh-huh. And uh, my wife, we, you know, the Holy Spirit was sort of double teaming us because my wife met another family on base, and they were doing NFP too. So she oh. was, so she was, she was getting it uh, from her side, and I was getting it from physicians. And we just kind of, you know, talked it over and said, "This makes so much sense. I'm done with this uh, yeah. contraception, but um, yeah. go ahead and tell me uh, your uh, experience with that." Well, good. Good for you. First of all, I want to say to anybody listening here, that shows that anyone can make a difference in someone else's life, you know. So for you, it was a doctor. For for your wife, it was another woman on the base, you yeah. know. Um, so everybody who embraces church teaching, you need to think of yourself as an evangelist. Mm-hmm. Uh, because good, goodness knows we have the best system. You know, if you think about a social sexual system, yes, um, the Catholic system... Uh, protects the interests of children and the interests of women and men as well. Yeah. Uh, it protects everybody's interests much better than all the alternatives that we have been dished up. Mm-hmm. So, um, so kudos to all of you. That's great. Let, so let me let me start with the contraceptive ideology because honestly, honestly, I think it's the key to the whole thing. Yeah, I agree with yeah, you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's really the key to the whole thing. So the contraceptive ideology, the way I describe it, it's the idea that a good and decent society should do everything possible to separate sex from babies Mm -hmm. so that everybody is entitled to as much sex as they want without ever anticipating a pregnancy or planning for a pregnancy or Mm -hmm. expecting a pregnancy. So you can do anything you want. And this gets expanded, Mark, to you can do anything you want as long as it's consensual and right. no one will ever get hurt. Nothing right. bad will ever happen to you or anybody around you. Mm-hmm. This is the ideology that's out there. You know, it's a little bit like believing in Santa Claus. I mean, <laughs> right. it's great if you can get it, but it's just not the real world <laughs> right. at all, right? Yeah. Um, and and so, so that's the contraceptive ideology, and that leads to the, the perceived need for abortion, right? Mm, because if right. you're messing around, you know, if you're messing around with somebody you shouldn't be messing around with, and you have a contraceptive failure, which is really much more common than they tell you. Mm-hmm. Um, th- then you got a problem, and you think, "Oh my gosh, I can't handle this," and you think you need an abortion. So, those those two things are it's it's a complete myth that you could get rid of the need for abortion if you just have more contraception. Yeah, absolutely. That's, you know, half of all uh, half of all abortions occur on women who are using some form of contraception at the time. So this, exactly. this whole idea that contraception, you know, obviates uh, abortion is, is just a myth. Not true. It's not true. Yeah. <laughs> so, so, th- so that's the first ideology, the contraceptive ideology. So right there, you know, I just want you to think about this from the child's perspective, right? The child is marginalized from the sexual act. 
you you enter into your sexual life without ever thinking or planning for the child. Mm-hmm. And you know, you can have a baby if you really want one and you have quirky lifestyle preferences. Then it's okay if you want to do that. Yeah. But, you know, there's nothing we don't build society around it in, in any meaningful sense. And and when you think about it, you look across cultures, there has never been a culture that has attempted to do what we're attempting to do. Hmm. Every culture has rules about who gets to have sex, who who's supposed to take care of the babies, you know. Yeah, when, yeah, yeah, when you're, you're, you're right. Get married, yeah, yeah. Every society has rules about that. Mm-hmm. It's, it's quite audacious that we think we can get away without that. So the second ideology I call the divorce ideology. And the divorce ideology says that a good and decent society should do everything possible to separate both sex and babies from marriage. Yeah. You can yeah. have sex with whether you're married or not. You can have babies whether you're married or not. Yeah. It's a myth that kids need a mother and a father. It's mm. a myth that kids need a stable relationship between mm-hmm. the mother and father. Mm-hmm. Well, guess what? That's not true. The myth was the myth was correct, actually. Yeah. Um, kids do need their parents. And all you have to do is ask a child, an adult child, what it was like for them yeah. when yeah. their mom came home with a new boyfriend. Absolutely. In, in order to believe that these things, we have to do a lot of suppression. Yeah. You know, we have to we have to wipe out a lot of of uh, cultural knowledge, and we have to tell people that they don't get to they don't get to speak. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the child of divorce they they never get a turn at the microphone. They don't get columns in the New York Times to talk about how celebratory yeah. it all was. You know, so so that's the second uh, ideology: contraceptive ideology, the divorce ideology. Third ideology is what I call the gender ideology. Yes. And the gender ideology starts with the idea that the sex of a body is not particularly significant and can be socially reconstructed or now medically reconstructed. So it started with some forms of feminism that were saying men and women are basically interchangeable. Yep. Any differences you see between men and women are socially constructed and unjust. And we should wipe out all those differences. Okay. <laughs> and so feminism, that kind of feminism brought a lot of changes to society in its wake. But the idea that uh, men and women are interchangeable has beneath it the idea that the body is not significant. Okay. Mm-hmm. And where we have gone with that is the whole idea of what is now called transgenderism. The idea that you can change the sex of the body for any reason that you want and nothing bad will happen. (laughs) (laughs) That we should endorse and enforce uh, people's desires uh, to change the body. And so, interestingly enough, many old-time feminists and even radical lesbians are now up in arms and enraged about transgenderism because they can see that it's removing safe spaces for women. Um, or like and, the whole sports thing with the uh, absolutely, you know, it's it's kind of it's very crazy when you when uh, feminists are talking about equality and then they're letting a, a man in the swimming pool yeah. beat them in the Olympics. It's kind of ridiculous. Yeah. Well, and, but you see, a lot of the feminists are now on the other side of this whole issue, right? Because you know, it, we we ally ourselves sometimes with lesbians and feminists yeah. on this particular issue because they they believe the body matters, you know. Yeah. Um, and if they believe the body matters, and we can have a basis for conversing with them, and hopefully they can walk back some of their earlier premises, you know, and find a better way. And, and that does happen sometimes. But mm-hmm. but anyway, it's self contradictory. And and one thing you have to say about the Catholic system and the Catholic 
um, sexual ethical system is that it's coherent. It's intellectually coherent. Mm -hmm. All the moving parts fit together. And the moving parts are all directed towards the idea that the human person is meant for love and that we are meant for conjugal love and that we are meant for parental and child love. You yeah. know? So we're preserving the love relationships, which means you have to say no to certain things. You know, yeah, that's... the things that are not consistent with love, you have to say, no, we're not going to do that anymore. Yeah, I mean, that's, um, that's, how we're, that's how we're built. That's natural law. That's and, right. And, that's right. So. You could think of the Ruth Institute as a natural law outfit, you know? yeah, right. uh, and, and 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 that's although we don't you know we don't blast people with that particularly, but um, but that's how we are an interfaith organization. Mm-hmm. That's why people are attracted to us from all across the religious spectrum, because we're you know we're telling it like it is, we're telling it boldly, and we're not afraid to go into the fray and say this is what is true, and we can prove it. We've got yeah. the social science, we've got right. the science. And people love it. When you and I, Jennifer, were, you know, teenagers, the out-of-wedlock birth rate was 5%. Mm-hmm. Can you imagine that? I mean, that's... Yeah. Now, yeah. you know, out-of-wedlock uh, birth rate is about 50%. It's probably higher than yes, that. Yes, it's 50% of all first births. Mm-hmm. Okay, so think about that. The, the first baby you have, it's a, it's a coin toss. It's a coin toss whether that baby will be born with a married mom and dad yeah. or not. Yeah. And, and, and it's also true that if you're born to a, an unmarried mother, the odds are that her, her next child will be with a different man, right? Yeah. And, so the, and there are a whole series of problems that have emerged from that whole process of what is called multiple partner fertility. Mm-hmm. There's a whole big literature on that mm-hmm. subject. Because the child, every time the, the parents have a what is called a transition, you know, um, whether you have a divorce or a breakup with your boyfriend or, you know, a new person comes in, one person goes away, your step-siblings all move away, you know, every one of those transitions, whether it's a legally recorded one or not, you know, whether it's a legal status or just change of cohabiting partners, every one of those transitions is traumatic yeah. to the child. Yeah. Every single one, right? Yeah. So... Yeah, And that all started with the contraceptive etiology. You know, people used to talk, well, you wouldn't buy a, you wouldn't buy a car without test driving it, right? Mm-hmm. Well, so, so you can live together and contracept, and then, you know, if things don't work out, well, well, you, you haven't had a child. But again, right. you know, uh, you often, if not usually, do. And then the, and it was during that 10 years after contraception became widely uh, available that the uh, divorce rate i think went from 25% of all marriages up to 50% of all marriages in the first 10 years like from around 65 to 75 you know that just uh, reiterates what you're saying about the contraceptive etiology and then leading to the divorce etiology and then the the gender etiology said that uh, you know like same sex marriage and so forth is that what really matters is us saying to another person of the opposite sex or the same sex that we love that person. So marriage became, you know, just declaring your love for somebody instead of what marriage is really about, which is about children. Right. It's about perpetuating the culture. Right, right. That's exactly right. 
what, what's happened is that marriage has become progressively more and more an adult-centered institution right. and less and less of a child-centered institution. Until now, there's basically nothing left yeah. of the child-centered orientation of marriage. And you could see that happening with it, throughout the debates on gay marriage. I was involved in those debates, as you read from my bio. Yes. Um, and, and I didn't mean to get into this area. You know, when I wrote Love and Economics and I wrote Smart Sex and so on, those books were really focused on moms and dads and, you know, how you make it easier for moms and dads to get married and stay married, you know, that kind of thing. That's what I was worried about. Mm-hmm. My first book, the big thing I was worried about was too much daycare. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I mean, it seems charming now, you know, naive, hopeless, you know, to, yeah. to be even worried about that. But but um, when, when Proposition 8 came on the scene in uh, 2008, it originated in San Diego. Mm. Um, it was put on the ballot, basically, with, by the efforts of Catholics in San Diego. Mm-hmm. And then once it was on the ballot, everybody rallied around and put together this fabulous interfaith coalition mm. um, to, to defend marriage. You know? and so that's how I got the idea of, oh, wow, this could work. Yeah, um, it was a great I grassroots uh, movement. Yes, oh, absolutely, a great grassroots movement. But I didn't really want to be involved in dealing with the homosexual stuff and gay stuff and all that. I didn't want to do it. But I could see that if you redefined marriage, you're going to end up redefining parenthood, and it was going to end up being bad for kids. And I tried to talk about that throughout the campaign, and I can tell you in no uncertain terms, Mark, nobody wanted to talk about that. On both sides, Mm. on both sides, you know, uh, even even our people, you know, I would get up there and start talking about divorce and stuff, and, you know, third-party reproduction, not a good thing. That's the only way gay (laughs) couples can do it, we're third-party, not a good thing, people. And then there, then people on my own side are like, well, straight people use that. And I'm like, yeah, but we shouldn't be. Yeah. (laughs) Stop. Yeah. You know, so, so by 2013, I could see that we were going to lose marriage. Yeah. I, I could see that the courts were going to... Which is really... We're, we're going to do what they did, you know. It must have been um, very discouraging to to have this oh. huge movement in, in 2008, and then it hits the courts and it just gets tossed. Yep, yep, it was. It was really hard. And 2013 was the hard time for me because that's when they threw out Prop 8. Mm-hmm. Um, the, yeah. the the court the court decision the Windsor case they threw out Prop Eight and they also threw out the Defense of Marriage Act and I could see in the reasoning that the court was using I could see it was only a matter of time you know before they would impose gay marriage on the whole country yeah so it was in 2013 that we started really rethinking what we were doing and there's no point in having a ballot initiative there's no point in doing elections that's that territory is completely lost. The court can change the law whenever they yeah, feel like it. Yeah, I know. You know, yeah. that's, 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 there's no point going there. So that, that's when we started thinking about the victims and survivors of the sexual revolution and how we could enlist those people, the uh, the, the children of divorce, the, the children, the, the adults, the women who lost their fertility because they postponed it so long. Yeah. Um, and, and did harm things that were supposed to help their bodies that turned out to help harm their bodies. Uh, all sorts of people who who participated in some way in the ideology and figured out after the fact that this is a big mistake. But by the time they figured it out, irrevocable harm had been done, you know? So, so that's what we've been focusing on at the Ruth Institute is how to enlist people, how to, how to help people connect the dots, you know, between what's going on in their life and this crazy, toxic, irrational ideology. Um, And then to activate some of those people. And we find somebody who's on fire or, 
alive on one of these issues, oh my golly, we support them every way we can. Yeah. So, so that that's what the Ruth Institute is doing now. I, I, that's probably more than you wanted to know, Mark. Oh no, no. In fact, uh, I, I wanted to ask you more about. Um, you, you gave some examples of um, of how some actual real life examples about how this uh, whole process with the contraceptive ideology and the divorce ideology, how it really had some effect on kids, on families. Can you mention a couple of the one or two of those stories that really uh, kind of describes what what exactly happens to these kids? Well, in the the opening chapter of of the sexual state, I just kind of list through a number of different people, a a few of whom are real individuals. Most of them are kind of composites of people Mm -hmm, I've known, you know. mm -hmm. Because you see the same story over and over, yeah, pretty much. You, you know what I'm talking about. So one case that I knew, a little girl staying with her grandmother. I knew the grandmother. little girl lives with her grandma. Uh, the girl's mother, my friend's daughter, uh, has a new boyfriend. Mm-hmm. Um, she and her new boyfriend have a new baby. And whenever the daughter and her new baby and her boyfriend, whenever they come over to grandma's house for Christmas or Thanksgiving or anything like that, the little girl wets her bed for a week and has tantrums, mm-hmm. okay? Because in her little mind, why don't I get to be with my mommy? Mm-hmm. How come that little baby gets to be with mommy and I don't get to be with my mommy? You yep. know, I mean, five-year-old, six-year-old, yeah, yeah. you're asking the child to figure that out on their own, you know? Mm-hmm. That's an instance. Of, that's, that's what multiple partner fertility means to a child. Yeah. Well, right? I saw these things all the time in my medical practice. I was... You know, a family practitioner, so I saw families, right. and uh, and I treated some of the uh, medical fallout of the sexual revolution with with uh, sexually transmitted diseases and unplanned pregnancy, yeah. and trying to help with those situations and trying to convince the mother with the unplanned pregnancy not to uh, not to abort and getting involved with the abortion pill reversal uh, process, yeah. and and not to mention. All of the psychological oh. you know, catastrophes of yeah. of kids feeling yeah. uh, rejected and lonely, and it was it just it was just heartbreaking to see all of that. Yes, yes, and and, and part of what we've done as a culture is to anesthetize ourselves to it all. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, we we have these little platitudes that we say. Um, and, and all too often, if things are going badly in the family, they take the children for, for counseling. The child's acting out. The child's angry. Well, of course the child's angry. Yes, right. You know, the, the, you, you, you've disrupted their whole life. <laughs> you, yeah. you know, you're, you're making them move back and forth every week or every two weeks. Meanwhile, if you've had it, if you remarried and you've had a child with another, with your current partner, okay, that child gets to be with mom and dad all the time. Yeah. And you have to go back and forth all the time. You know, I, there are all kinds of stresses that are placed on children from the original relationship. This concludes part two of my conversation with Dr. Jennifer Roback Morse. Tune in next time for part three of our conversation when we will further discuss the social ills brought about by the sexual revolution and some possible solutions. And until next time, remember, we should always treat life with care and respect. And at the very least, we should first do no harm. 
First, do no harm with Dr. Mark Rollo is produced at WQPH 89.3 FM, Shirley Fitchburg. We are very happy to share it with other networks. Thank you for tuning in to First Do No Harm. Dr. Rollo welcomes your questions and comments. You may contact him at markrollo978 at gmail.com. That's M-A-R-K-R-O-L-L-O 978 at gmail.com. Thank you, and until next week, remember, first, do no harm.